Hey there, it's Pastor Shepard, and I've got a little something special for you here today. On the afternoon of Sunday, the 25th of September, I was at long last, after three years, installed officially as the pastor of Union Congregational Church. And it was a wonderful day, a wonderful celebration, and so I wanted to share with you the word as it was proclaimed that day by our guest preacher, uh, the Reverend Amy Fowler. And I'd also like to share the charge that was given to the congregation by the Reverend Alex Will, uh, our area conference minister uh, here in the Metro Boston Association of the Southern New England Conference of the UCC. I hope these words speak to you and inspire you. They certainly did me. Here's the message. The scripture lesson comes from the third chapter of the book of Acts. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, jumping up. He stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Aaron and I met a few weeks ago. Officially, I am Aaron's deacon in the Presbytery of Boston. So in my retirement, I now do what I have always wanted to do, which is pastoral care for pastors. I am also Trina's deacon. We met for coffee. And we talked about the service, and he mentioned that there was going to be a bagpiper. 
And I said, is the service indoors or outdoors? Because bagpipes, I think, are better outdoors than indoors. And we were, of course, planning to be outside, so the answer was outdoors. And I thought about the bagpipes so effective for the battlefield and a little overwhelming for the sanctuary. And it reminded me how I first learned this. I went to Princeton Theological Seminary, heaven for Presbyterians. Sorry, sorry. I know who I am. And it was a tradition that once each week in the chapel service, a student would preach. And I have to tell you, in 1981, 82, 83, and 84, there were not many women on the campus. And I vowed that I would not preach or volunteer to preach until I really had something to say. At that point, I had no intentions of being a preacher. I thought I would be a chaplain, a pastoral counselor, a social worker, pretty much anything but a preacher. But I found by my senior year I had something to say, and so I signed up. And the scripture I read to you is the scripture that I chose. I was terrified. I was a white knuckler so that my knees would not betray me. But I thought, I'm going to risk it. I have something to say. And the chapel bell was ringing, of course, a pull bell. This is Princeton. And the sanctuary looked pretty much like this one. As one of my friends said, why is it we have to go to church in a courthouse? <laughs> Think about it. And I looked up, and coming in the door were the president of the seminary walking in with the chair of my candidates committee. I didn't live in Princeton. He had traveled. He was also on the board of Princeton. Word had gotten out. So terrified, I looked up into the balcony, and on the sheep side was my Hebrew professor, and on the goat side was my New Testament professor, and in the middle was my pastoral theology professor. I focused on him. And I thought to myself, if there is going to be a rapture, how about now? <laughs> it didn't happen. The sermon really began with me thinking together with the community 
about the near misses I had had with ministry as a student and talking about so many of the assumptions that I encountered about who I was, what I was to do, what I was not to do. I talked about the person in my first field education course, my field placement, who asked me on my first Sunday a very complicated question about the theology of baptism. And I said, I don't think you know that I haven't been to any classes yet. I thought about the young girl who decided not to just fling a snowball at my head at the Presbyterian Children's Village where I served as student chaplain. After she checked to make sure who I was, she said, you're that lady chaplain, right? And I said, right. And she said, well, I don't mess with God. <laughs> and after that, she called me goddess. I thought about all of that. I thought about all the people who have assumed that because I was a woman in ministry, I must be a radical feminist. And all the people who assumed because I was in ministry, I couldn't possibly be a radical feminist. And so I brought the focus to the center of the story. Peter and John were stopped by a man who could not walk. His friends brought him every day to sit at the gate, and now we know why it really is the beautiful gate of the temple, so that he could beg while people walked in. He was not a part of that community. You see, he didn't go in and worship with them. He is not able to walk. He cannot work. And in that center of the story, instead of passing him by, Peter stops. John 2. Peter looks at him. John 2. Peter says, look at us. And the man does. In fact, for those of you who had to study Greek, the verbs indicate that they locked eyes. They held on to each other with their eyes. My New Testament professor would be happy that I knew that that verb appears in texts about healing, that locking glance. They really look at him, and they see him as a person, as a whole person. The man meets their gaze, Luke tells us, expecting to receive something from them. But in seeing each other, in holding on to each other with their eyes, a moment is created 
And that moment changes everything. Peter says, I have no gold or silver to give you, but I give you what I have. And then reaches out his hand, raises him by the right hand, and says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And in that moment, his body is healed and made strong. And he joins them and walks into the temple, a whole person, leaping and praising God. He is no longer separated from the community. He is one with them. Can you see it? And what I wanted to tell the community of Princeton Theological Seminary in 1983 is that this is what is necessary for effective ministry, the stopping, the looking, the seeing, the invitation, the holding on to each other, As I ended that sermon, I looked around the entire chapel and I made eye contact. And it was just a really lovely moment for me. <laughs> it was very dramatic. You may be asking yourself, well, where does the bagpipe come into this story? <laughs> And I'm really happy to tell you, I knew what others did not, that the young woman up on the last row of the balcony under her seat had a bagpipe. And as I made eye contact with each of the worshipers, she got out her pipe and filled the bag with air and then hit the drone and the entire community as one stood up and went <gasps> and sat back down again. And then we laughed and we sang Amazing Grace together. That's how I learned that bagpipes are better outside. <laughs> Each time I hear the pipes, I remember the look on people's faces. Student, professors, president, the whole nine yards. I remember that the key to effective ministry is in the stopping and in the looking and in the invitation, and in the seeing with intensity. I remember that God gives us grace not to give people what they are asking for, not even to give them what we think they need, 
but to give them what we have. The love and healing power of our Lord Jesus Christ. May it be so. Amen. Ian, the moment is here. I'm grateful to Pastor Aaron for inviting me to offer this charge to the congregation. And I will promise you one thing. It's short. <laughs> but it does have three points, because what would be anything in church if I didn't have three points? So some of you know um, that one of my passions, my hobbies outside of church is rugby. I not only play, but I coach high school rugby. And so I thought, wouldn't it be fun if I used rugby as a way to talk about my charge to you, the congregation. So hopefully I can teach you a few things about rugby through these three points. And, and fundamentally, if you've never watched rugby, that's okay. You don't need to know anything about it to follow along with this. But fundamentally, for the first point, what you need to know is rugby is a game about moving the ball forward down the field. And one thing we tell those youth who are learning the game is you run north and south not east and west. Because what a lot of new players want to do, especially kids with all the energy, and they're usually in good shape, they want to try to run around people. And you waste all this energy and time going sideways and sideways, but never forward. So we run north and south, not east and west. And sometimes the same is true in a church. Sometimes we spend a lot of time running east and west, east and west. So my charge to you is to remember to run north and south. Not to score goals or as if church was a game to win, but because God is always calling us forward, calling us into something new, something we haven't done before, to put one foot in front of the other. So keep moving north and south. Resist the urge to run east and west. And sometimes even, and this is the thing that's hard for a lot of new players in rugby, is that you want to run east and west because if you run north, you're going to run into someone and they're going to tackle you and you don't want to be tackled. But here's the thing in rugby. Getting tackled is part of the game. In football, which is a little different, you're trying to avoid being tackled. That's not true in rugby. Getting tackled is part of the game, and sometimes you're trying to be tackled in order to move the ball down the field. Sometimes moving forward means moving into conflict, things that might be hard or painful. But we got to move forward. So I encourage you to be not afraid. Conflict is inevitable, but combat is optional. So keep moving forward and don't be afraid of the hard things. Now for my second point, rugby is a lot like many other sports. There are penalties, there are things you can't do, and there are so many of them, but I only want to share one with you. There's a penalty called not releasing. When you get tackled and you're a ball carrier, you are legally required to release the ball. You cannot hold on to it. So my encouragement to you 
is when it's time to let something go, release it. It's hard because you think, no, they're trying to grab it and take it from me. But you have to let it go. We've all struggled with that over the past two years of the pandemic, the things we've had to release, to let go of that, the ways we cannot be church again, and they will continue. In the bigger sense, we've been wrestling with that for 20, 30, 40 years as the world and the church has changed, and it will not stop. So when it feels scary, remember, we have to let go of some things sometimes. And lastly, the most important part of rugby is actually not a rule, it's not a law, it's not even really something you can teach. Something that is just you figure out as you go. And it's a saying, actually. And the saying is, with you. And when you're training new rugby players, you're, that is the most important thing to get in their head. Both as a way to play and as something they audibly say to each other. With you. Because rugby requires that you never go alone. If you're gonna carry that ball forward, there better be someone behind you and beside you ready to be there when you get tackled. And how do you let them know you're there? You grab on and say, with you. That's how they know I can go forward because I'm not going alone. We've got each other. Indeed, we remember today that God calls each of us into ministry not just Pastor Aaron. Each of us are called by God to ministry. And so it is the responsibility of all of us to grab on to each other, to go forth in ministry and say, with you. You can go because I will go with you. We will go together. We will do the hard things together. We will not push you, Pastor Aaron, out by yourself to figure it out. In some days, we will go, we'll be the ball carrier, and you'll be the one saying, with you, I'm with you. That is the mutual ministry we celebrate today. So church, I invite you, if you only remember one of those points, please remember that one, with you. Amen.